Hello, Set Apart Saints. This is David Nakao Wilcoxon. This audio is from the Olivet Discourse Decoded video series. The videos were low-tech, mostly me just reading what's on the screen. So you're not missing much in the audio version. The Olivet Discourse Decoded PDFs that I refer to in the lessons can be found at www.theolivetdiscourse.com. Enjoy the lesson. Hello, Set Apart Saints. This is David. And in the last video about the abomination of desolation, I showed that the Gospels of Matthew and Mark were written for a Jewish audience who would understand Messiah's reference to the prophecy in Daniel 8 in regard to Persian leader Antiochus Epiphanes bringing his army to surround Jerusalem to kill many Jews and take the temple captive. But the Gospel of Luke was written to a Gentile audience who may not understand that reference to Daniel's prophecy. So Luke defined it for them. Luke 21, 20-21 says, And when ye shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out, and let not them that are in the countries enter thereinto. He declared that the abomination of desolation is an army surrounding holy Jerusalem, standing where it should not around the temple. There's no need to speculate about what it is, as Scripture gives us the definition. In the previous video, we saw that Daniel 9.26 foretells the desolation of Jerusalem. In the second temple, it says, And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. We saw Messiah weeping over Jerusalem, proclaiming that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, encompass thee around, and keep thee in on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knew not the time of my visitation. And the time of his visitation was in the seventieth week of Daniel. And thine enemies of the Jews was the Romans. So Messiah is saying right there, the Romans are going to come and they're going to cast a trench around you. They're going to compass you around and keep you in on every side. And then they're going to desolate you, just like he proclaimed in the first few verses of the Olivet Discourse, that not one stone would be left on another. We see in Messiah's parable of the wedding feast that he proclaimed, but when the king heard thereof, he was wroth and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. So it's pointing to the Heavenly Father pouring out his wrath on the unbelieving Jews who rejected his son and delivered him up to be killed. And he sent forth armies and destroyed those who murdered Messiah and burned up their city, Jerusalem. And I read many commentaries from the great theologians of the 16th through 19th century who proclaimed that it pointed to the Roman army surrounding Jerusalem, which resulted in them desolating Jerusalem, the temple, and the Jewish nation. The proper context of the Olivet Discourse is Messiah rebuking the Jewish leaders in Matthew 23, proclaiming that judgment was coming upon them in that generation, as they followed in their forefathers' path of continuing in their rebellion against Yah the Heavenly Father and killing the prophets that he sent to them. And now they sought to kill his son. The proper context of the Olivet Discourse is Messiah's declaration in Matthew 24 too, that the temple that he just came out of would be desolated. He's not pointing to an end times Jewish rebuilt temple. And his disciples asked him for a sign, 
to know when that was about to take place so that they could escape the judgment against the Jewish nation. By scripture, we can see what the abomination of desolation was. And by the witness of many, we confirm the explanation. But seeing how it took place gives a whole new perspective. And that's the topic of this video, to give a timeline so that you can see when it took place and how the saints escaped Judea to the mountains north of Jerusalem and east of the Jordan River to be safe during the pending Jewish-Roman War of 66 to 70 AD. The Jews were getting tired of the Roman control of Judea, and the Jewish zealot rebels were starting to make attacks on Roman soldiers. With the Jewish rebellion getting out of control, Rome sent Cestius Gallus, the legate of Syria, to Judea with a Syrian legion, Legio XII Fulminata, plus auxiliaries and allies. So a total of approximately 30 to 36,000 troops to restore order in the neighboring provinces. In one Judean city, the army arrived on the Feast of Tabernacles. And even though it was a high Sabbath rest day, the Jews attacked the army with fury, killing 515 soldiers and only losing 22 of their own. The tenacity of the Jewish fighters stayed in the mind of Cestius. After subduing cities in northern Judea, the Roman army proceeded down to Jerusalem. Jewish historian Josephus noted, but now Cestius, observing that the disturbances that were begun among the Jews afforded him a proper opportunity to attack them, took his whole army along with him and put the Jews to flight and pursued them to Jerusalem. After surrounding Jerusalem in the fall of 66 AD, Cestius ceased operations in the hope of receiving an offer of surrender. He then pitched his camp upon the elevation called Scopus, or Watchtower, which was distant seven furlongs from the city. Yet did not he assault them in three days' time, out of expectation that those within might perhaps yield a little. And in the meantime, he sent out a great army of his soldiers into neighboring villages to seize upon their corn. Agrippa offered the Jews amnesty if they surrendered to Cestius, but the rebels attacked the Jewish emissaries to prevent them from accepting the proposal. So the Roman army was camped outside of Jerusalem for three days, which was a huge sign for the saints, which they could not miss. They understood that Jerusalem's desolation drew nigh, and that they needed to escape when given the opportunity. The Jewish leaders didn't surrender, so on the fourth day, Cestius led attacks on Jerusalem. Josephus records what happened. And on the fourth day, which was the thirteenth of the month, when he had put his army in array, he brought it into the city. Now for the people, the Jews, they were kept under by the seditious. But the seditious themselves were greatly affrighted at the good order of the Romans, and retired from the suburbs and retreated into the inner part of the city and into the temple. But when Cestius was come into the city, he set the part called Bethsetha, which is called Sinopolis, on fire, as he did also to the timber market, after which he came into the upper city and pitched his camp over against the royal palace. And had he but at that very time attempted to get within the walls by force, he had won the city presently, and the war had been put an end to at once. So Cestius quickly took the upper city of Jerusalem and made camp near the temple. Josephus records that Cestius made such rapid progress that the city was on the point of being captured. Cestius proceeded to have his men undermine the city wall to prepare for them to set the gate of the temple on fire. 
The peaceable Jewish leaders offered to open the gates for Cestius to surrender, but his distrust made him hesitate, and he didn't accept. Those Jews were then taken by the rebels and stoned for subversion. If Cestius had taken advantage of his position and forced his way using their ramparts, Jerusalem would have been captured and the war ended. All Cestius had to do was persist and push into the temple area, but that would have preserved Jerusalem, the temple, and the Jewish nation. So it was not to be. Cestius was reportedly betrayed by leader Tyrannus Priscius, who had been bribed by Florus to prolong the war, and he diverted him away from attempting to take the city. Cestius suddenly recalled his troops, and they withdrew from the city. This action was of divine providence, for judgment was determined on the Jewish nation. Of this, Josephus said, It then happened that Cestius was not conscious either how the besieged despaired of success, nor how courageous the people were for him. And so he recalled his soldiers from the place. So the people, what it's saying is that the many of the Jews wanted to surrender to him, and they were compelled to do so, but they were stopped. But he wasn't aware of that. And so he recalled his soldiers from the place. And by despairing of any expectation of taking it, without having received any disgrace, he retired from the city, without any reason in the world. But when the robbers perceived this unexpected retreat of his, they resumed their courage and ran after the hinder parts of his army, and destroyed a considerable number of both the horsemen and footmen. Had he not withdrawn, when he did, the city and sanctuary would of course have been spared. And Josephus says it was, I suppose, owing to the aversion God already had towards the city and the sanctuary, that he was hindered from putting an end to the war that very day. What divine intervention! Cestius and his army had the capture of Jerusalem in their grasp. Some of the Jewish leaders wanted to open the upper gate to surrender. But all of that was thwarted because desolation had been determined on Jerusalem, the temple, and the Jewish nation. This happened because Messiah promised his disciples a way of escape. That when they see the abomination of desolation, the adulterous armies with the image of their idols on their ensigns, ready to lay Jerusalem desolate, stand where it ought not in the holy place of Jerusalem, then they should flee to the mountains. So they looked for an opportunity to flee, but the Jewish rebels in Jerusalem were a threat to them. The sudden retreat of Cestius encouraged the Jewish rebels, who thought that God had protected them, and they rushed out behind the fleeing army of Cestius to attack them. This gave the followers of Messiah the brief opportunity to escape Jerusalem. They heeded Messiah's warning and fled to the mountains north of Jerusalem and east of the Jordan River. I'll talk about their escape in a minute, but let's focus on what took place as the Jewish rebels attacked the army of Cestius. Cestius was retreating to the coast when they were ambushed and defeated by Judean rebels as they navigated through the pass at Beth Haran. They were attacked from all sides, with most Jews shooting arrows down on them from above. Eleazar ben Simon led the Jewish faction. Simon bar Giora led the peasants. And some of the Sicarii were involved in the attack on the Romans. In what is called the Battle of Beth Haran, the Romans suffered a historic military defeat by a rebel province. Josephus documented the incompetence of Cestius. As Cestius retreats to Scopus and then to Gabon, he is pursued by the rebels, who devastate his army's flanks and rear and force the Romans to abandon most of their baggage train. Cestius halts at Goban for two days to plan. Then Cestius leads the army to Beth Haran. Trapped in the mountain passes of Beth Haran, the Romans were easily cut down. Nightfall prevents their capture, 
Under cover of darkness, Cestius and the army slip away, leaving 400 men behind as a deception. When the trick is discovered at dawn, these are quickly slain by the rebels. Of the Romans, a total of 5,300 infantry and 480 cavalry had been killed at Beth Haran. The remnant is chased to the Roman camp at Antipatris. The rebels carry off weapons, war engines, and supplies, and sing on their way back to Jerusalem. So the Jewish rebels captured battering rams, catapults, and other war engines. The Romans even lost possession of the Roman Aquila, the Roman Eagle Standard, which was carried by the troops. The Jews returned to Jerusalem singing songs of triumph, having suffered very little loss. They believed that the Most High was still with them. Their victory caused others to join their rebellion. But what lay ahead was severe judgment, as they had incited the ire of the Roman Emperor. So the abomination of desolation gave the believers the sign to flee Judea. But the Jews ignored the many signs that were given, and they stayed in Judea and were desolated by the Romans. The saints fled to the mountains of Pella and Decapolis, which is a place where Messiah visited during his ministry. So they were already familiar with the area. Matthew 4:25 says, And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee, and from Decapolis, and from Jerusalem, and from Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Mark 5 says, And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. Now the Roman army was sent to end the Jewish rebellion in Galilee and Judea. The Decapolis, a ten-city region, is east of the Jordan River, and it's a separate district. The Romans were not carrying out their war there, so it was a place of protection. Roman generals Vespasian and Titus came through Caesarea, which is a port city on the Mediterranean Sea named after Caesar. They traveled through Galilee and then down to Jerusalem, always staying on the Jordan's west side. And here we can see a map. So up here is Caesarea, right? And they would come in through the ports. They had different ports here where they could come in. They'd go up to Galilee. So they made some attacks here because Jewish rebels had been up here. And then they would come down this way and then work their way through where Samaria was and work their way down to Judea and Jerusalem. But the saints, when they saw the abomination of desolation and the Jewish rebels chased after the Roman army, they took advantage of that and they went this way to the east side of the Jordan River up near Pella and Perea. And you can see right here on the map, there's like some mountainous areas right here. So they fled this way to the Decapolis. So the army always stayed on this side, and then Messiah's disciples stayed on this side. So they were protected. In his work, Historia Ecclesiastica, Eusebius provides an account of the saints' flight to Pella to escape the judgment of the unbelieving Jewish nation. The people of the church in Jerusalem, in accordance with a certain oracle that was given through revelation to those who were worthy in the place, were commanded to migrate from the city before the war and to settle in a certain city of Perea, in Pella it was called, to which those who believed in Christ migrated from Jerusalem, so that when the holy men had completely abandoned the royal capital of the Jews and the whole land of Judea, the judgment of God might, at last, overtake them for all their crimes against the Christ and his apostles, utterly blotting out that very generation of the wicked from among humankind. After all, those who believed in Christ had generally come to live in Perea, in a city called Pella of the Decapolis, of which it is written in the Gospel. For when the city was about to be captured and sacked by the Romans, all the disciples were warned beforehand by an angel to remove from the city, doomed as it was to utter destruction. 
The believing Jews saw the sign of the abomination of desolation in November 66 AD, and they fled to the mountains of Pella for safety. The unbelieving Jews stayed in Jerusalem, and they were desolated during the Jewish-Roman War of 66-70 AD. Eusebius recorded the absence of the followers of Messiah in Judea as they had fled after seeing the sign of the abomination of desolation. He says, But the people of the church in Jerusalem had been commanded by a revelation, vouchafed to approve men, there before the war, to leave the city and to dwell in a certain town of Perea called Pella. And when those that believed in Christ had come thither from Jerusalem, then, as if the royal city of the Jews and the whole land of Judea were entirely destitute of holy men, the judgment of God at length overtook those who had committed such outrages against Christ and his apostles, and totally destroyed that generation of impious men. So now, every time you hear someone teach that the abomination of desolation is by an end times antichrist, you know that they're teaching a wrong interpretation of prophecy. Scripture defines its own terms. Luke told you exactly what it is. An army surrounding Jerusalem, standing where it ought not, to come and desolate the city. So the Olivet Discourse is about the desolation of the second temple, not a third temple. When we put aside the fanciful stories and look at what Scripture defines as the abomination of desolation, an army surrounding the holy city of Jerusalem, we see the clear fulfillment, which reinforces Messiah's word, that all of the things that he described in his Olivet Discourse were fulfilled in that generation of wicked Jews who rejected him. And once again, this reinforces Messiah's adamant declaration, Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. In the next video, I'll pick up the verse-by-verse -verse explanation and cover verses 16 through 20, which can find the prophecy to people who live in Judea. Thank you for listening to this Olivet Discourse Decoded audio. You can save and print Olivet Discourse Decoded PDF summaries. You can request a free copy of the Olivet Discourse Decoded book or order a printed copy at www.theolivetdiscourse.com. Please share this podcast audio with others so that they can see the glory of Messiah in the fulfillment. I love y'all. Shalom.